Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, February 14th, 2017. I'm trying to use my sexy voice. Is that working? <laughs> I don't even think I have one of those. <laughs> yeah, that could mean only one thing. Uh, it's February in secret driven land. And I'm doing my best to try to avoid it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of really crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word and compare what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's how that works, isn't it? And over again, we demonstrate that what's being said, the steady diet, doctrinally, doctrine is teaching, by the way, doctrinally, of uh, the average evangelical who uh, is following the most popular people out there, yeah, it ain't biblical. No, it's it's actually quite awful. Um, might as well, you know, this is the spiritual equivalent of, you know, of consuming medical waste, you know, something like that. I just think disgusting, gross, pussy, and, you know, can make you deathly ill. That's what we're talking about here, which, by the way, is exactly how Scripture describes false teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually true. Um, It it describes it that way in the pastoral epistles themselves, but uh, that may be for another episode of Fighting for the Faith. So today, (sighs) just, (sighs) okay, so, you know, as I have stated recently, one of the things I I I I hate, and I mean this, just loathe, despise the uh, the sermons that come out of the seeker driven movement this time of the year. Apparently, Valentine's Day is the day to explain to people how to <clears throat> procreate and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so, what we're gonna do um, yeah, it, with today's episode? We're let me let me go in order. I'm like getting ahead of myself. I'm so. <laughs> Just like about what what's gonna go down here. So let's kind of do this in order. Okay, take a breath. Hang on. In through nose, out of mouth. Yeah. Ah, into the nose. 
out through the mouth. These are called cleansing breaths, by the way. We're gonna we're gonna begin with a Terry Savelle Foy update and uh, check in with um, one of her. In fact, you know, most recent videos. It was published only yesterday. And uh, listen in as she explains how one little word can change your life. And uh, she'll be talking about the one little word that changed her life. And uh, if you had to guess, you know, I mean, since this is supposed to be like a Christian YouTube channel dedicated, you know, to helping people understand God and, you know, Christianity and things like that, what would you think the word would be? Think about it for a second. You're thinking, um, you know, Pastor Rosebro, um, I'm thinking the word should be Jesus. You'd think, yeah. <laughs> that's the safe answer, by the way. That's the safe answer. But if you think that's the word that changed her life, <laughs> yeah, you'd be like really wrong. Then we're going to uh, head over to the Crossing Church in Elk River, Minnesota, and uh, check in with the. Um, vision casting leader there, Eric Dykstra. And uh, this past Sunday, he uh, yeah, he started his sermon series, Baywatch, B-A-E. And, and somehow I missed the cultural cues on this. When did the word bay like become like the pet thing to call the woman you got the hots for? I totally missed that. I mean, it just snuck up on me and and, you know, and so it's when I first, when I saw this, it's, and that wasn't the first time I'd actually heard the, the, the word used like that. But, you know, it, I didn't realize it was as prevalent as it is. So we're going to talk about, uh, not we, but uh, Eric Dykstra is going to be talking about healthy relationship principles. And, um, and so we'll listen to the beginning portion of the sermon, his opening comments, and then fast forward just a smidge, just a wee little bit, as we uh, listen to where he's going to get these relationship principles from. Okay, now, okay. <laughs> remember what I told you, okay? Remember I told you this. It's like, okay, so what what word, little word do you think it is that changed Terry Savelle Foy's life? You'd think, well, maybe Jesus. Uh, okay, so, you know, all right, so... If you were to just take a wild guess, take a wild guess where Eric Dykstra is going to go in the Bible to find healthy relationship principles. You're thinking, where would he go for that? You know, and you know, you might think, you know, a little racy here, you know, Song of Solomon. Okay, that would be a legitimate guess. And I'd say, nope, no, that's not where he's going to go. And then you sit there and go, okay, relationship principles. Maybe one of the epistles, you know, one of the epistles in the New Testament. Maybe First Corinthians, because I mean, you know, it, there's there's relational stuff talked about in First Corinthians. And I think, you know, that's that's a decent place to go, you know. And uh, you know, sure, you, you'd think he would go, there, but that's not where he's going to go. Mm -hmm. You think, well, where does he go to find relationship principles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all I can say is stay tuned. It's, it's like in one of the places, you know, I recently preached my way through this entire book and uh, failed to note the important relationship principles in that particular book. And some of you are going, no, because you know what I, you know, what, what book it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where he's going to go. And uh, and somewhere in there we'll take a break. And then when we come back from the break, we're going to do – a Larry and his huck 
update because, you know, hey, it's time for a whole other, you know, Jewish holiday. It's actually mentioned in the in the Bible. And uh, the uh, the holy day is uh, the uh, the feast of Purim, and you're going the what of what? It's in the book of Esther. Yeah, it's 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 actually explained in the back part of the uh, the book of Esther. But see, whenever uh, a holiday, you know, or you know, something in the Jewish calendar comes up, that is like ringing the dinner bell for Larry and Tiz Huck, and and uh, Tiz Huck can't help it. I mean. She does nothing but make the yummy sound <laughs> during, mm, mm, oh, wow, mm, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so uh, that'll be the first hour. And then in hour number two, we're going to head down to Potential Church. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, we check in with them from time to time to see if they've uh, if they've made the turn there. You know, years ago, they were like Flamingo Road Baptist Church. And, uh, and, and so, um, yeah, it, but then, you know, Dan Sutherland of church transitions, uh, the lead guy who helped, you know, transition a whole bunch of churches from, you know, doing what Christ tells us to do, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded into being purpose driven churches. And so uh, this church was held up as a model uh, purpose-driven church, and uh, he turned over the keys to uh, the vision casting leader spot there to Troy Gramling, and he changed the name uh, to Potential Church, and they've been a church in Potentia ever since. And uh, and so we check in from time to time to see if they've made the big jump from being a church in Potentia to actually being a real church, you know, uh, you know. The church, <laughs> and so you know, because you know, we want them to you know fulfill their potential and actually become a church. So the sermon we're going to be listening to is titled "A Stolen Promotion." Mm-hmm. Stolen promotion, and you know, I just you know immediately ask the question: Where in the Bible is it t- taught about you know how to deal when? somebody steals the promotion at work that you were supposed to get. You know, I'm I'm not sure if this is an actual breaking of the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Yeah, I'm a little confused on on the terminology here. And, you know, of course, you know, these seeker-driven guys, what do they do? They strip mine the Bible. Yeah, we got to wash away all of the Jesus stuff, all the stuff regarding repentance. That gets washed right out. And, you know, the gold they're looking for. Yeah, you know, see, they strip my – because, you know, the gospel, that's dirt. Uh, you know, the passages that actually give real commands, you know, <laughs> thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, covet, commit adultery, stuff like that. Yeah, they just get washed away too. That's not relevant today. So they they strip mine the Bible with a real power washer, and the gold they're looking for are principles, principles that you can apply to your suburbanite life, you know, here in uh, Western civilization. And I, I can't even say America because this thing has like gone way beyond that. So I mean, if, are you having difficulty, you know, with your feelings of being looked o- looked, you know, passed over at work and stuff like that? Yeah, real first world problem there. Um, do problemo, Troy Gramling of Potential Church, a church in Potentia, will explain to us, <laughs> you know, what to do 
when you want success in life, and um, but you don't realize uh, what that success itself is a process. Yeah, I wish I was making that up. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground to cover, and since we're going to begin with the Terry Savelle Foy update, that requires us to do this. Hi, Bobby. That's right. That's a Barbie girl song. That can mean only one thing. We're going to be checking in with the YouTube channel of Terry Savelle Foy. Uh, She's a firm believer in the word of faith heresy. And uh, her father's really good friends with, you know, Ken Copeland. But here she is explaining to us that one little word that changed her life. And that word is not Jesus. Here we go. I'm Terry Savelle Foy, and I'm glad you're watching today. I want to talk to you about one little word that changed my life. You know, a lot of times the Lord will just give me one word, and I'll study that word and apply it to my life. And not too long ago, the word was firm. He told me. Uh-huh. Wow, that was uh, underwhelming. Wow. Okay, so the uh, <clears throat> the word that changed her life. Direct revelation from God, folks. I mean, this came all the way from the top. I mean, it doesn't get any higher than God. You know, it's not like you can go above God's head. And, you know, so God himself was up there in heaven doing what God does, you know, running the whole universe. And thought, oh, whoa, you know, I better check in with Terry and uh, and put a word into her head that will change her life. She, She won't even see this one coming. Okay, here's the word. You ready? Firm. And there's Terry Savelle Foy, you're just walking down the street, maybe at the gym or something, you know, and minding her own business. And all of a sudden, she hears the voice of God say, firm. And, you know, (laughs) totally just revolutionized her life. (laughs) Is, Is this what we're told to expect in Scripture? time to get firm. I was like, well, that could mean a lot of things. (laughs) Well, then I looked up the word firm and this is what it means. It means to be resolute, determined, fixed, not soft or yielding, securely fixed in place. In other words, it does not change. Now, important to note here, um, in case you missed it, she did not look it up in the original Greek. I'm just saying, you know, (laughs) she may have consulted the Oxford English Dictionary. But, you know, I mean, my question is, I mean, maybe it's going to be, it's like, well, since this is coming from God, I mean, did we look this up in the Hebrew and in the Greek? I mean, you know, <laughs> not that it would make a difference at this point. I mean, the whole premise of this teaching is, how should we say it, off? Well, I think of firm also meaning 
conquering procrastination, doing more than what's required. It's the opposite of being lazy. When you say you're going to – Right. So firm means not procrastinating. Firm. That's the opposite of lazy. Yeah. In fact, I heard a lazy person say, I'm not lazy. I'm just highly motivated to do nothing. <laughs> well, I believe God's telling me to tell you this word too. It's time. Uh, see, see, God told her to tell you the word firm. She is sent by none other than God himself uh, with the message of firmness. And, uh, you know, I mean, just think of the applications that this can have to your life. I mean, you can conquer cr- procrastination. You can get um, a better mattress. I mean, sometimes, you know, those soft mattresses just aren't doing the job. And so maybe firm, you know, is is one of these things that can revolutionize the whole way in which you're sleeping. And remember, God sent her. God told her to tell you. Uh, the the message affirm yeah so i mean this is the whole i mean you can talk about the gospel of firmness here yeah i mean we got the gospel of matthew mark luke john those are about jesus uh but now we've got the gospel of firm yeah the 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 good news that'll just you know change your life and so i'm if, i'm assuming here that uh, she's already begun to hint at this that we're going to be getting some testimonial stuff you know like how Applying firm to her life has revolutionized the the way she's doing things and and well the results that she's getting in her own life because of that word from God firm to get firm. Now, some of you may have heard on other podcasts I shared how years ago the Lord said to me in my prayer time He just said when I know you're ready get ready when I know you right you know I'm I'm watching you man. And so when you're ready, get ready because, you know, firm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, consider my mind blown here, yeah. Or ready, get ready. Yeah. In other words, God wants you to prepare to get things in order. Start preparing for the next level, preparing for promotion. Preparing for promotion. Funny that you would say that because we're going to talk about what to do when you're, when you're overlooked for promotion in that sermon we'll be reviewing in hour two from uh, Troy Gramling. Now he might be telling you it's time to get firm, to get resolute, to get determined about some aspect of your life because it's... Well, can I, can I make a suggestion? I mean, this is really practical stuff. So, I mean, let, let's not pass up an opportunity like this. I mean, after all, I mean, God told her to tell you firm. Um, so, I mean, if we're going to get firm, maybe we need to get firm about, you know, sound doctrine. You just think about this for a second. Just try it on in your mind. You know, you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can fit into that. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, as opposed to, you know, some really fancy cocktail dress. Um, no, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, trying on sound doctrine doesn't make you look good at a party. No. It's not that kind of dress. And so, I mean, in fact, you kind of have to think of sound doctrine as kind of more like, you know, like dressing up in really, really comfortable and durable, um, you know, you know, jeans, uh, maybe khakis, maybe even, you know, you know in fact, I'm, 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 I'm not even quite in the ballpark yet. I know what it is. I see, you see, trying on. 
you know, sound doctrine. I mean, because we're we're supposed to be firming things up here. It's not at all like a cocktail dress or anything floofy or girly or anything like that. No, it's more like battle fatigues. You know, camos. You know, the digi camos kind of thing. You know, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, that's what it's like dressing. And see, when you dress like that, you know, everyone thinks military. Yeah, and, and see. But the thing is that commands a little bit of respect in some places, disdain in others. Uh, but the, you know, it's very practical because, I mean, when you try that on, yeah. You know, see, since we're trying some clothes on here, you know, I've mixed metaphors. You know, trying on the camels, putting away the dress and the high heels and the lipstick and all that kind of stuff, and going with the sound doctrine camouflage, you know, with, I mean, the AR-15 and the service revolver, you know, maybe 1911, you know, with the service 1911. Uh, yeah, great gun. Anyway, uh, you kind of get the idea here. So, you know, just try try that on in your mind. And, and let's talk about firmness. You know, I mean, after all, God told her to tell you this word, you know. Prepare you for promotion. You remember the phrase that Coach John Wooden said, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. You have to prepare now. In fact, Will Rogers said even if... Right. The opportunity to spot false doctrine, you have to prepare for that by, you know, being in God's word, actually being proficient in it, understanding the doctrines that it teaches, knowing where to go, you know, when somebody contradicts how... Using sound exegesis and context, 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 so that you're not deceived, so that you can protect yourself and others. I mean... I mean, after all, I mean, isn't the soldier metaphor, you know, uh, actually taught in Scripture in regards to these things? Oh, yes, I believe it is. I believe it is. If you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. we got to get moving. we got to start preparing things now. Well, some of the areas, you know, that the Lord talked to me about and then I've shared with other people was just in the area of finances. You know, maybe Right. you, you got to get firm in your fi finances. Yeah, I, I think firm and like sound doctrine is probably going to help you out uh, far better. That's the area that you really need to get firm about this year. In fact, you know, I was reading statistics that says the average American has more than $7,000 in credit card debt. More than 7000 50% of Americans did not save one penny last year. Not one penny. That means all that money that you're making all year long is going right back out the door. So not even right. Um. Okay. Um. Are people actually going to be in hell? Um. Because of this. I mean, granted, it you know it could make their lives uncomfortable, and uh, you know we wouldn't want uncomfortable middle class American suburbanites now, would we? Penny would say 40% of Americans will spend 110% of their income this year. That's crazy. 65% of Americans literally live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, that that might have something to do with, you know, the consequences of sin? It's caused by sin. And that maybe repentance and the forgiveness of sins might have something to do because it's not like the Bible doesn't talk about money. And oftentimes, especially in the New Testament, it talks about those who are greedy for shameful gain, teaching things they ought not to teach. You talk about those who, um, well, money has become their idol, their God. 
um, you know, and they and they trust in worship mammon rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Um, you know, things like that. I mean, so you, just saying, you know, you gotta get firm. You know, in your finances, you know, maybe it's not just flimsiness that's the problem when it comes to finances. It, it, there might be some systemic sin that's involved in this and just simply saying, oh, well, you know, you didn't save a penny last year. Um, yeah, I mean, that could be bad. It doesn't necessarily mean something bad. It might mean that you had a rough year. Um, but you know, the year before you saved 10 grand or something like that. Um, but again, the, the root issue on that is, is really gonna be sin. Mm -hmm. And so God's law is going to need to be preached and, uh, people are going to need to be called to repent and trust in Christ. And then, you know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which means they're going to have to understand, you know, what God's word teaches about things like this um, and, you know, what the standard is that God expects um, and note that when they come up short that they've sinned against a holy and just God, you know, things like that. I mean, if you really want to get firm on this. When you think about this, you know, do you feel like you should have saved more money by now? I know I do. Or do you feel like, you know, you should be a lot further along in your financial goals than you are right now in your life? Or think of it this way. If you couldn't receive a paycheck for three months, could you survive? Or for two weeks? Or could you make it till Friday? Well, I believe it's time to get firm, to get serious about your finances. If that yeah, you, you got to get firm, right? Yeah, just just get firm. Yeah, we're yeah, I'm not going to deal with this in any kind of biblical manner. Just, just, just we're just going to apply firmness to it. Yeah. What the Lord's dealing with you about, it's time to get firm. I know a lady who, she said she finally got serious at 56 years old. She said enough is enough. Enough she, isn't, she's, so she got firm. Enough is enough. Did she recognize any sinful patterns in her life? Did she receive forgiveness for these sins? And is she now bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? Or did she just make the decision to, you know, just you know, be a better manager of her limited finances. But I'm getting older. I have nothing in savings. I don't want to be dependent on my family as I get older and older. So she got serious and she saved over a hundred thousand dollars by the time she was 62 years old. That's yeah, that's, that's great. Um, uh, okay. Um, does she know Jesus? Uh, do you need Jesus in order to save a hundred thousand? I know a lot of people who are like really kind of rank pagans who've, you know, saved more than a hundred thousand dollars in their life. And, and, and they didn't even use Jesus to, you know, Jesus had nothing to do with their savings account. In fact, um, pretty much the reason why they saved as much as they did is because they had no trust whatsoever in Jesus. And, um, m money was pretty much the only thing they cared about. Yeah. Amazing. Why? Because she got firm about it. Yeah. Well, same with fitness, you know. Right. Yeah, you got to get firm about fitness. And because, you know, if you're not firm about fitness, well, then you're just flabby. Yeah, that's how that works. Oh, man. Um, I know a lot of people that are, you know, <laughs> you kind of see where this is going. I know a lot of people who are really firm when it comes to fitness, and man, boy, I got to tell you, when they take a selfie mm -hmm, and they, you know, 
and <laughs> their six pack abs are showing in their selfie. You know, the one thing that becomes really clear is that their fitness is being driven by um, narcissism, <laughs> a complete and utter love for themselves. Um, so, I mean, just saying, you know, hey, it's time to get firm about your fitness. And notice all this is kind of just I you know, the one God told her, you know, that she's got to tell the world about, you know, this word, the word that's totally changed her life. And the word isn't Jesus. The word is firm. There you go. All right. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Eric Dykstra and also Larry and Tiz Hug. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. You think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. We here at Pyro Christian Radio understand the importance of outreach ministries and what they can provide for the people they serve. We've recently discovered a small charity organization called Kenyan Christian Arts. 
This group has come together to craft and sell unique handmade Christian art locally and around the world to provide the funds necessary to feed, medicate, and educate orphan children in Kenya. Additionally, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase is donated to the FredEx International Foundation to help the poor and orphan children all over western Kenya. Please visit KenyanChristianArts.com and take a look at their selection of hand-carved soapstone goods. Their selection includes a variety of pieces such as crosses, vases, nativity sets, and even mugs. Remember, that's KenyanChristianArts.com. Thank you. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, overcoming the difficulties of that rough, you know, suburban middle-class life in, the, uh, in America is not actually Christian sanctification. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you're going to see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute well an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're going to be introducing some new update music here. Um, I think this is appropriate. We're we're not going to use our standard 
Eric Dykstra update music, given that we're going to be listening to something that supposedly has something to do with <clears throat> better intimacy in uh, <clears throat> in your relationships. So let's do this. use that again um wow okay so we're heading over to the crossing church yeah and uh, the vision casting leader eric dykstra has uh, begun a relationship sermon series uh titled bay watch b a e w a t c h um yeah so uh and we covered it a little bit as far as the promotional material over at the museum of idolatry and uh, so here is installment 1 from the sermon series week 1 um and the name of the message is how to never dance alone and I'll just let Eric Dykstra set it up here we go crossing how are you High five somebody and tell them you're super sexy. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Um, okay. Um, that was the opening to the sermon. Mm-hmm. Turn to somebody and say you're super sexy. I'm pretty sure if I did that um, as the pastor of Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, um, that would probably, if I did that, that would probably be the last thing I ever did as pastor. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to get some of you a date for Valentine's right now. <laughs> oh, this is the sexiest church on earth. You guys are super hot. Like, like I'm so glad I get to serve at this church. Now- <laughs> um, so the pastor is saying of the people there, they're super hot and sexy. Okay, I didn't know that that was one of the fruit of the spirit, but okay. Here's the thing: we're gonna start this series called "Dating, Mating, and Procreating." Look at somebody. Do Do I really need Eric Dykstra to help me with dating, mating, and procreating? Thankfully, I've been married for my entire adult life. Um. Thinking about this, um, next year, my wife and I will have been married for 30 years. Um, so, okay, um, so I, I didn't need him to help me with the dating part. In fact, I'm pretty sure that my pastor when I was in high school never offered any assistance in helping with the <clears throat> you know, uh, relevant tips on dating, mating, or procreating. I did hear about what the Bible teaches regarding you know, whom 
God would want me to choose uh, for a spouse. The certain people were like, you know, you don't you don't marry that person because you're a Christian. Um, and there, you know, of course, and you know, God's moral law tells us uh, what the standard is as far as you know what God expects as far as faithfulness and chastity and things like that. Um, but again, I'm just a little bit confused here. Why is he? doing this i don't understand why would anybody who's a pagan sit there and go you know honey you know we're we're having some serious challenges here you know regarding the whole dating mating procreating thing and boogity 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 amen i'm thank thank you for my smoking hot wife and all but um well i i I better go get some help uh and uh and so i'm thinking one of them seeker driven guys oh he can clear things right up for us I mean, it doesn't make any sense on its face. Who does this? Get busy. <laughs> We're going to talk about this this morning. Now, here's the thing. The series is about both dating as well as marriage and relationships. Uh, but today, specifically, I kind of want to focus on the dating part of it. And there's a couple reasons why. Uh, first, 50% of our church is single. I don't know if you know that or not, but I, my guess is somewhere around 50% of the Crossing Church is single, which is, I mean, is a pretty big number for like for, for churches. Cause a lot of times churches is just for people who have kids that are married and like, they, they feel like if they've got 2.5 kids and their marriage is working out, then they go to church. But in fact, when did church become only for married people? I, that when did church only become for married people? I'm a little confused when that, when church ceased to be a place where, you know, people who were single people who were married people who were widowed um all gathered to hear the word of god i'm a little confused here church is a church where lots of people are single whether that's junior high single whether that's 26 single whether that's 55 single whether that's been through two marriages and single like we we recognize the fact that a lot of you are single and what you are thinking about all the time is who should i be with it consumes so much of the thoughts of people who are single. So we thought we'd talk about this secondarily. How many of you would agree with me with a raise of hands that the dating system in our world, the culture of dating is broken? Can I see your hands? Okay. So he's going to talk about how the culture of dating is broken. And, okay, you know, um, I thought the job of a pastor was to, you know, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, um, I'm a little confused as to why he's doing what he's doing because this doesn't seem to quite jive with a careful reading exegesis and exposition, you know, a proclamation, if you would, of the word of God. Now I'm going to fast forward just a little bit, uh, cause he's going to rant on about how the dating thing scene is like broken in the United States. And it is, I mean, it's, 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 it's sick. What's happening in uh, in the world today, and especially among millennials, um, you know, in the dating scene? I mean, fool. But uh, that's kind of n- neither here nor there. Let's now fast forward to where he thinks the Bible is really gonna help us here. Um, here again is Eric Dykstra. I'm just going to give you some relational, some just kind of some healthy relational principles from uh, the book of Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 24 if you have your own Bible. If you have a note, she hold it up for me. Okay. So, yeah, remember I told you, you know, where do you go in the Bible to, you know, to find, you know, talk about relationships. So healthy relationship principles from the book of Genesis chapter 24. 
What? Okay, so this is what we call strip mining the Bible. This is strip mining the Bible for relevant principles to apply to your life. I don't... (laughs) When I taught through Genesis 24, I missed all the relationship principles. Can you believe Okay, here's what I want you to do with it. Uh, it's blank on purpose because for those of you that are married, I want you to look for the one thing that God's saying to you today. Like I want you to, I don't know, if you don't want to write it all down, I don't really care whether you write the whole notes down. If you are single, what I'm hoping that you will do, whatever, that's, whatever single looks like for you right now, is I want you to take all these notes because this could really, really help you in terms of the dating scene. So I'm going to pray. So Genesis 24 is going to turn into a prescriptive text on helping you in the dating scene. Do it. Jesus, thank you for every life in this room. Thank you for what you're about ready to do and what you're about ready to say. God, I believe that you have great things in store for this church and for every life. God, may you bring happiness, joy, strength, and peace to every heart. God, we are here because we celebrate how great and good you are. And we ask you to meet us now. Everybody say, my heart's open. My mind's ready. Make me better, God. Transform me by your word. I am open to whatever. Bring it on. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I'm open to whatever. Bring it on. <laughs> was that a confession of faith? Was that a prayer? What? What was that? Oh man, there's no way to recover. I the the, the plane is in a tailspin. My apologies, folks. Um, we're, this thing's gonna land hard. I recommend that you please put your uh, tray table and seat backs into the upright and locked position, and uh, then take your hands and put them behind your head and fo- elbows forward and then lean down that's the crash position i i you may want to say some prayers i this could (laughs) what is going on jesus name amen so we're going to read Genesis chapter 24, and now I'll tell you a couple things kind of disclaimer about Genesis 24 before we read it it is a 4,000 year old story so, yeah, but it's not a prescriptive text when it comes to relationships. This is a historical narrative, a descriptive text of what happened when Abraham sent his servant to go get a wife for his son Isaac. <sighs> can we like uh, teach you about dating from a 4,000-year-old story? And here's the reality. This book is timeless. It's not a book that's just built for one generation. It's built for every generation. And there's a story in Genesis 24 that has some principles that you can take from 4,000 years ago and you can apply them right now to your culture, to your situation, and to your story. So what I'm... So we're looking for principles. How do I know if I've found one? No, here's a principle. Yeah, whoa, yeah. (laughs) We're we're not going to preach the text, find Jesus. Forget the fact that Jesus said that the scriptures were about him. He said that to the Jews straight up. He said, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, yet they are the very scriptures that testify about me. 
and you refused to come to me so that you might have life. So, I mean, ultimately, this is going to, in one way or another, point to Christ. But forget that. I mean, no, no. We're going to find principles. I mean, is this like an Easter egg hunt? I mean, you know you've found the biblical principle because it's, you know, multicolored and handy and fits in a pocket. I mean, how do you know you've found a principle? We're just going to read through the passage. and I'm going to pull out some principles for how you could end up with some healthier relationships than where, the, where you presently are. Does that make sense? Okay, so here we go. This is Genesis chapter 24. We're going to start right away with verse 1. This will, this will be fun. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I must warn you, I don't think that um, Eric Dykstra, the vision casting leader there at the Crossing Church, has enough emotional maturity to handle the delicate nature of the opening verses of 24. This is going to pretty much be like, well, if Beavis and Butthead were exegeting or working through this text, (laughs) he said, thigh. (laughs) Yeah, you'll get what I mean in a second. Uh, Here's how it starts. It says, uh, Abraham was now a very old man. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. Dude! Yeah, this is where, you know, okay, you come across something culturally awkward like that. It's probably good to have a good commentary or a good study Bible. This will assist you um, in these things. Now, just so you know, yes, uh, thigh there is actually probably a euphemism. And um, let me read the note from the Lutheran Study Bible from Genesis 24, verse 2, and the phrase, under my thigh. This is a cultural gesture gesture to accompany the oath. The loin and the thigh, the body's largest muscles, represented one's physical as well as reproductive strength. The oath testified to their faith in the coming Messiah who would be born of Abraham's line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and a good commentary will kind of point this out, that this particular awkward cultural gesture here actually is pointing to faith in Christ, the one who would come from the loins of Abraham. But let's see what Eric Dykstra does with this. It's, it's, I can't imagine that it's going to be good. Put your hand under my thigh. Actually, the Hebrew is even more graphic. <laughs> it's, can you grab the family jewels? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making it up. This is 4,000 years ago. The way an oath was made many times was, Hey, I want you to, (laughs) and then I want you to make a vow and you're going to vow. You're going to complete the vow. And the end of the vow is if you don't complete it, we're cutting off your family jewels. No, 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 no. This is why we don't get our theology from Gladiator. Man, okay, so um, notice that Genesis 24 says, 
nothing about the oath ending with, and if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then they have the lop it off of me um, uh, <laughs> procedure done. Um, wow. Okay. That got really awkward really quick. And see, this is one of the reasons why you want godly and mature men to actually be pastors because there are some sensitive topics in scripture and they need to be handled reverently as well as accurately. And well, Eric Dykstra, who um, clearly doesn't have enough maturity in important parts, which actually demonstrates he's not qualified to be a pastor, but he would say, that's no big deal. I'm the vision casting leader anyway. Totally different thing altogether. Um, Clearly doesn't have maturity to handle sensitive matters. And, and I'm not sure which commentary he's reading there, but the biblical text says nothing about Abraham's servant agreeing to have the lop it off of me thing happen to him. If he didn't fulfill the oath. So this is a pretty significant vow God is asking or, or, or that Abraham's asking of his servant. He's like, Hey, I want you to do something really important for me. And if you don't do it, Jewels are coming off. Yeah, no, actually, that's not what Abraham said. Let me again read the note from the Lutheran Study Bible. A cultural gesture to accompany the oath, the loin and the thigh, the largest bodies, uh, body's largest muscles represent one's physical and reproductive strength. The oath itself testified to their faith in the coming Messiah who would be born of Abraham's line. Yeah, wow. So, uh, yeah, that gives you an example of the opening of um, this relevant, culturally relevant, I mean, to pagans. I mean, uh, Eric Dykstra's sermon series on dating, mating, and procreating. And uh, I think we've pretty much figured out that nothing good is going to come of that. Wow. Moving along. I've got... Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. All right, so we're heading over to the studios of Larry Huck Ministries. Larry Huck Ministries. And wouldn't you know it, I mean, just look at the Jewish calendar and whoa, what do you see? Yeah, that's right. The Feast of Purim is upon us. And that can mean only one thing. (laughs) Ring the dinner bell. It's time to feed the televangelists and send them money Because, I mean, that's what the Jewish feasts are good for. Isn't that right? Here's Larry and Tiz Huck to explain. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's program. We're Larry and Tiz Huck. Now, listen to me very closely because today 
is a day of miracles. I'm yeah. not joking in your mm. life. In <laughs> yeah, it's a day of miracles. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of this. What is this? Schwarzwalder Kirschtort. Mm. Oh, do you like it? I'm not partial to desserts myself, but this is excellent. Who are you talking to? To you. You just made a yummy sound, so I thought you'd like the dessert. I didn't make a yummy sound. I just asked you what it is. But you <laughs> Yeah, I didn't make a yummy sound. No, she, she. I think she's making the yummy sound. I mean, listen in. Because today is a day of miracles. I'm not yeah. joking. In your life. Mm. In yeah, see, that's the yummy sound right there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she, oh, she can taste all the money rolling in, you know, because, I mean, just so happens there's another Jewish feast day, you in know. In ancient Jewish wisdom, it says, whenever you see yes. or hear of a blessing in someone else's life, yeah. it means. You're next. We're going to tell you the story of Esther right now. No, no, actually, they're not. That's the weird thing. If you watch the episodes, they don't really ever tell the story of Esther. They kind of make up their own narrative and what it all means. But we're in a time <laughs> of miracles. See, she did it again. That was the yummy sound. Yeah. Get ready. Your life is about to change. I seriously doubt that. Now, let me fast forward through their opening music. Here they go again. You know, we, I know we say this all the time, but it's because a lot of people may not understand how exciting it is yeah. to learn the Jewish roots of the Bible. And the Yeah, the thing is, is that the people in your audience, Larry, they're really not actually learning the Jewish roots of the Bible. They're learning your twisted manipulation of these Jewish texts uh, in order to, you know, basically give you a large payday. The reason it's so exciting is God says my people, those who yeah. love me, those who pray to me, those who are trusting me are destroyed for what reason? Lack of knowledge. Lack yeah. of knowledge. And yeah, they, they wouldn't be destroyed if they understood you got to send your money into Larry Huck several times a year and it's always keyed into, you know, a, a Jewish feast day. And so when God talks to us about is there not an appointed time? Now, yeah. now, here we go again with the Moedim. Listen to us. God is God 24 7. We yes. say it over and over again because there's so many new people yes. that are watching from around the world. God is God 24 7. Right, yeah, 24 7. But, yeah. but, which means you, as soon as you say that, well, yeah, he, he's not, though. He is, but he isn't. The Bible says, call upon the Lord. The what? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> call upon the... Hang on a second. What did he say? But yeah. the Bible says, call upon the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my doctor doesn't want me doing that. Um, he pretty much wants me staying away from the, the really high, greasy things. The, uh, so... Call upon the Lord. But yeah. the Bible says, call upon the Lord yep. while he is near. And yeah. what that means is there are certain moedims in Hebrew, yeah. appointed times. Uh -huh. No, that's not what that means. In which God puts on his calendar yeah. to let us know 
at this appointed time, here's what I'm doing. Mm. Multiply. Now, God. Yeah, there's the yummy sound. Again. Does that every moment of every yeah. day. So during certain times of the year, oh, God's blessings. Whoa, they're multiplying. But at this appointed time, expect this. Amen. Look for it. Yes. Welcome it into your yep. life. And yeah, and the way you welcome it into your life is by sending money to Larry and Tiz Huck. And so right now. We are in the time of what's called in Hebrew, mm. Purim. Mm. We're in the time of the book and the story of Esther. Yes. We're in the time in which God takes your impossible. Now listen, yes. receive this. Amen. What am I receiving? Receive this right now. Yes. Okay, what am I receiving? God takes your impossible situation. Uh, he, he does? Just like he did Esther. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize the reason why God gives us stories yeah. in the Bible is to remind us he is the same Amen. yesterday, today, and yes. forever. Amen. And we teach here at New Beginnings in Dallas, whenever you see or hear of a miracle or a blessing in someone else's life, yep. be excited because that means you're next. Amen. And so, it, it Really, that, that's how that works. So. Yeah, I, I just heard that Betty was uh, was blessed. So I, that means my blessings on the way. I'm next, you know. It's like catching, you know, the bouquet at a wedding or something. Okay. So the story of Esther is an amazing story. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Esther was a Jew yep. who got put into being the queen yeah. through – and, and and let me remind everybody, there's so much to teach. Let yeah, maybe you should, like, you know, open up the biblical text and – you know, just work your way through it and exegete it, you know. He doesn't seem to be all that interested in that because that's, yeah, how you're supposed to get like a gazillion dollar payday um, if you did that. Let me remind everybody, Esther's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. Doesn't even hint at it. Uh -uh. And the reason is, is God is saying to you through the story of Esther right now during Purim yes. that no Amen. even if you don't feel me, you don't right. see me, it looks like the enemy is going to win. Yeah. The enemy against your health, mm. the enemy against... She keeps doing the yummy sound. Then. Your family, the yep. enemy against your finances, your marriage. The enemy against my marriage and my finances. Here we go again. What is it with, you know, apparently Christianity is all about alleviating any, you know, any irritations or difficulties you may be experiencing in your life in the area of, you know, finances. I mean, all you got to do is be firm, apparently. I mean, that not that what God told, you know, Terry Savelle Foy? And, you know, and then on, you know, the marriage thing. Yeah, um, we're just going to strip mine the Bible from Genesis 24 to look for principles, you know. And so, I mean, why would I need Purim at this point? <laughs> but everything seems to be keyed in on alleviating aggravation, frustration, difficulties, um, unexpected and negative outcomes in the realm of, you know, of, you know, of you know, problems that 
are faced by people in the middle classes in society. Yes. I am, Esther's Man. called in Hebrew the hidden face of God yes. or the hidden hand of God. When everything looked like Haman, yep. the enemy of God's people was going to win. Even yep. Haman even had the king sign a decree. Yeah. Maybe that decree is what the bank said or what the mm. doctor said or mm. what the divorce lawyer said. Mm. Or What? Uh, I'm not Esther, and um, my diagnosis from my doctor, if it were to ever be negative, is not the decree of Haman against me. What is this? Or whatever. Yes. The decree could not be changed, but... At this appointed time, mm. God was working behind Amen. the scene. You know, Amen. I've got it all on teaching. You got to get it. Yeah, and you got to pay money for it. So, yeah. So, what's the Haman in? Hey, what's the Haman in your life? I mean, oh, talk about absolutely just taking advantage of people who don't understand their Bible. And I come back to the thing I said earlier in the hour. You know, maybe if we need some firmness, it would be firmness in rightly understanding God's word because. When you rightly understand God's word, you hear Larry and Tiz Huck and you sit there and go, those people, they're engaging in robbery. Mm -hmm. the, the difference is they're not using a loaded weapon or a knife. Nope, they're not. They're using a twisted Bible. Mm -hmm. You see, and, and they have found that, number one, they don't go to prison because they don't use, they're not using a gun. Um, and number two, they have found that using a twisted Bible for robbery is really lucrative. Yeah, that's exactly what they found out. And so you, by actually knowing the scriptures, you can identify. It's like, whoa, 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 stop right there. Stop. I know what that is. That That's a twisted Bible. You drop that weapon right there, put it down, and back away from the Bible. That's right. You can. You got to talk firmly and... In, in in instances like this where somebody's trying to rob you that's what they're doing you know <laughs> man you, you don't believe me that that's what they're up to here listen to this i think you'll 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 get it when you sow an offering of any size we want to say thank you by sending you pastor larry's audio series perim for such a time as this the revelation of this extraordinary biblical holiday will release a dramatic flow of God's anointing, deliverance, and victory into your life. In addition, you'll also receive this splendid lapel pin proudly displaying your support of the bond between the United States and Israel. Uh, so, God's going to release all kinds of blessings and anointings and stuff if I send a Purim offering to uh, Larry and Tiz Huck. Somehow I I miss I miss that um, fine print within the biblical text, you know, that uh, the blessings of Purim, um, which I'm not even sure the Book of Esther discusses at all. In fact, I'm 100% sure that it doesn't. Well, they'll all be released to you if you send in a Purim uh, seed offering to Larry and Tiz Huck. Yeah, like I said, um, this is pretty much a highway robbery. Uh, it's except for it's not being done uh, with a loaded firearm. It's being conducted with, um, well, <laughs> instead it's being conducted with a um, twisted Bible. Yeah.
So what do you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Potential church. Yeah, we're heading all the way out there to find out about, no, well, passed up promotions and things like that. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Good, the bad, 
and well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon? Sermon. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Comes to us via potential church. Now, they're no longer a church. They are just a church in potential. That means that Troy Grambling isn't a pastor. He's just a potential pastor. Um, Vision casting leader is, I think, the way he likes to style himself. And it's all about being relevant, you know. And uh, so the name of the message we'll be listening to, it technically isn't a sermon because they're just a church in potential, um, is titled A Stolen Promotion. Stolen promotion, yeah. Boy, I mean, I hate when that happens. I, I hope that he's able to bring to bear sound biblical doctrine, solid exegesis, Christ-centered approach to the Scripture, properly distinguishing between law and gospel. Right, let's let's see if that's the case. Um, I wouldn't bet the farm on it. You'll lose the farm if you do. I'm pretty sure they will remain a potential church rather than a real church after this message. So let me back off on the music, and without any further ado, here's Troy Grambling, and there's a little intro video we'll catch the audio to, talking about the mystery of a stolen promotion. Here we go. Last year wasn't too bad. This year started out on a bumpy road. I'm going to need a lot more than street smarts to crack these cases. These... New Year Mysteries. New Year Mysteries, yeah. And it's, it, I don't, it's black and white, and there's a guy banging away on a typewriter, and it's clear by how he's banging, he doesn't know how to type. Because uh, uh, the message is coming out. Yeah, I, I think maybe he's typing in tongues. I love my job, but sometimes it doesn't seem to love me back. I did what I had to do to gain this seat. Did all the right things. Played it clean. Blood, sweat, and tears into my work. And now, they want to take it from me. I guess you could call it a stolen promotion. But it feels like a broken promise. Uh, Stolen promotion. Oh, this is just just terrible. I mean, I, I hope Jesus will help solve this yeah i mean i wonder i mean how did christianity survive the end of the 20th century without these little promo videos that you know keyed in on television and movie um tomes and things like that yeah wow Oh, this is just this amazingly relevant here. Hey guys, if you're uh, looking for me, I'm not actually up there at the front. I'm back here. All right, back here. I'll put the camera here in a minute. I think they'll move the camera here in a minute. <clears throat> There you go. Watch that camera. We're waiting for that camera right there on that big long arm. Yeah, the camera's having difficulty locating Troy Grambling. 
Uh, that's to the side. That's the wrong camera. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I'm back here is because, you know, when we think about promotion, we think about leadership, we tend to think about the front, don't we? Right? We want to get to the corner office or something like that. When in reality, leadership or promotion doesn't begin in the front. It actually begins, well, a lot of times if you're in business, it begins with a mop in the janitor's closet. Or maybe in church, it begins in the pew or in this case, the seats. I know for me, years ago, it began in the parking lot. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10, Look what it says. It says, does anyone dare despise the day of small beginnings? Um, what? Zechariah 4.10. By the way, he's uh, reading that from the message paraphrase. So here's the question I have for you. I mean, right off the bat. I mean, first appearance of God's word is two minutes, 30 seconds into the sermon and immediately, you just have to ask this question. So the, the book of Zechariah teaches the important biblical principle of not despising the day of small beginnings. And all I can say is, hmm, I don't recall that in the, uh, the prophet Zechariah. And if you're thinking, what do you mean you can't recall it? I don't think I've ever read the prophet Zechariah. And I would say, you see, that's probably part of the problem right there. But the good news is you don't need to have read it ahead of time in order to apply the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. So let's take a look at the context of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, and we're going to avoid the message paraphrase, like the plague, because you should. It's not any kind of a sound translation at all. And uh, the things that it teaches are really dangerous, is the best way I could put it. And if your pastor is preaching from the message, that's a red flag. In fact, it's such a red flag, and it's not a small red flag. It's not like one of those, you know, red, tiny little red flags that you put out in your yard to let your dog know you can't go past this point because of the invisible fence. No, it, you, you kind of have to think of it as a ginormous, huge, like, red flag that's flapping in the wind that can be seen for miles. Yeah, if your pastor's preaching from the message, that, that in and of itself should be a game ender. It's like, yeah, no, we're done. Done. You're not going to be taught the truth here. So Zechariah 4.10, part A, from the message, apparently says, does anyone dare despise the day of small beginnings? Well, all right. So here's our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. Context, context, context. We're going to start at verse 1. And here's what it says. The angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, well, I see and behold a lampstand, a bowl of gold and a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it and seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked to me with me answered and said to me, 
do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. And then the word of the Lord came to me and said, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. And then I said to him, what are these two olive trees in the right and the left of the lampstand? Now you're going to notice here. You're going to stop there. I've read verses 1 through 11. And you understand now from me reading out the context that this is a vision that Zechariah is seeing. And at this point, we're not quite getting the interpretation of the vision He's describing these things. And, of course, the immediate question is, well, who's Zerubbabel? Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are the questions you should be asking. But I'm going to just – I'm not going to answer it in this episode of Fighting for the Faith. The idea here is, is that now when we've gone back through the context, you can see that Zechariah 4.10 is not teaching anything about overlooked promotions or the process – that one goes through in order to become a leader, that's not what's being discussed at all. And so you can see now that uh, Troy Gramling is twisting God's word. He's not teaching it correctly. So in other words, rather than a rush to get to the front, maybe there's something about where we're at even today. Because, you know, when it comes to promotion... When it comes to getting the raise or going, you know, moving up the ladder, it, it's really not about whether that person, because you might look, you know, the office in front of you, and that person might not be as smart as you. They might not be as gifted as you. But promotion is about our ability to handle stress, our ability to deal with trouble. Because when you're asking for promotion, really what you're asking for, yeah, I know, more money, we hope, but right, you're asking for more trouble. You're asking to have... What is he talking about? What does this have to do with the Bible? The ability to be able to solve problems. That's who companies pay more money to or small businesses. Promotion is about the ability to deal with stress and challenge and trouble and solve problems. And when you and I get to a place in our lives where we're kind of like, you know what, I just can't handle it anymore. I'm just overwhelmed and I'm stressed out. What we're really saying is I'm content with where I'm at. Is that a problem? I mean, if everybody were a leader, who would the followers be? I mean, is it sinful if I don't want to be the CEO? Is it wrong if if my wife wants to be a stay-at-home wife and raise our children and be a grandma to our grandchildren? Is that, is that wrong? I'm not going to progress any further. I was thinking about it this week, and I, I think this. I think that so many times what we want to do 
is we would love for promotion or success to act- he's just gotten on to some type of a machine that looks like it's going to lift him up in the air be like this little lift here or to be like uh, an elevator you just kind of push the button and you rise on up to the next job you rise up to the next office you get out and you're like i'm here it was easy. All I had to do was push a button and I got the promotion. I, I got the raise. I went up to the next level. But that's not real life, is it? And that's not what the scripture actually teaches. <laughs> um, yeah, we've already demonstrated that your the first appearance of God's word in the sermon was a complete twisting of Zechariah 4.10 to make it look like it's teaching something about Uh, promotion and leadership principles and things like that when it isn't in reality promotion looks a lot different than just jumping on a lift or an elevator Uh, the bible tells us and life reveals to us i guess is the best way to say it is that it's not like an elevator or a lift in reality promotion is more like a stairway isn't it in other words what the bible says is that you and i take a step And then we've got to learn how to deal with this step that we've just taken. Where does it say that? Challenges that come with it and the trouble that comes with it. And as we begin to discover how to deal with that, then we take another step. And as we learn to deal with that, then we take another step. In other words, there's a process and there's a journey in which we actually become that for which God created us. We live in that in which Jesus came and died for us. We all come to the. We live in that in which Jesus came to die for. Did Jesus die so that I can get a promotion in the corporate world? What are you talking about? Points. You might say those steps where we're like, man, this, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle anymore. I don't know if I can deal with anymore. There's even a temptation sometimes to back away from the trouble, to back away from the stress. But what God wants to do is use where we're at today. You might say the step that you and I are on so that we can begin to develop and grow until we reach the destiny or experience the promotion for which we were created. Uh-huh. Do you, do you have a biblical passage that teaches this doctrine? I'm not familiar with any text that talk this way. If you pull out that outline that you got when you came in, I I think that this is important. Now, I'm going to point this out before we even go further. The only way he can, uh, well, attempt to make it look like the Bible teaches this doctrine that he's laid out in the first six minutes of this message is by engaging in a technique known as cherry-picking. Or, uh, you know, the string of pearls method. And here's how, the, how it works. You hunt and look for a f- sentence or a part of a sentence. doesn't matter what translation you're using. And then you rip it from its context. And then you tell a story about that. And then you go and find another verse that's totally not even related to the verse that you were reading, or you, you, were, you used previously, and you rip it from its context. It doesn't matter what translation you're using. And what you do is you rip out these different sentences from Scripture 
with no care whatsoever for what they say in the context in which they appear. And then you, you know, you weave together a theology around the out of context verses. The other way that you can do this, you know, to create the false impression that this is what the scripture teaches is by engaging in what's called narcissism. This is a narcissistic, eisegetical twisting of scripture, narcissism being self-love, eisegesis reading yourself, you know, reading your own self-love into the text. So it's the reading in of your own self-love into the biblical text. And the way this is done is similar to what we heard uh, Larry and Tiz Huck do. That, in fact, Larry and Tiz Huck, what they did was exactly that, Narcissus, you know, referencing the story of Esther and then basically saying, so what's the Haman in your life? That's Narcissus, all right? And it takes on all kinds of forms. You just find a historical narrative and you make yourself the um, the hero. So, I mean, let's see which of these two techniques that uh, that Troy will engage in, or maybe he'll really, you know, go for it and show some gusto by employing both techniques in this sermon. We'll see what he does. Where do these promotions come from? Well, look what the scripture says in Psalm 75. All right, so Psalm 75. Hmm, sounds to me like he's going to go with the first technique. It says, there's no power on earth that can make a person important. God is the judge. Now, okay, so just so you know, he's reading from the ERV. I have no idea what the ERV is. Um, and so apparently this is Psalm 75, 6 and 7. There is no power on earth that can make a person important. God is the judge. All right, so let's take a look at Psalm 75. And the wonderful thing about the Psalms is most of them are quite short. So let's see if we can figure out what's going on in Psalm 75. We'll start at verse 1. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all of its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. To the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So, Psalm 75 is a picture of the day of judgment. God humbling the wicked by sending them to hell and forcing them to drink to the dregs the wine of the wrath of God's fury. That's what's being described there. And then the righteous, well, they, they will live forever and sing the praises of God. Uh-huh. Those who are saved by grace through faith. So Psalm 75 is not about, oh, well, you know, this process by which God raises certain people up and and gives them promotions so that they can well experience their their dream density or something like that. He decides who will be important. He lifts one person up and he brings another down. 
Now, we know the heart of God when it comes to promotion. Because he tells us in a passage of scripture that if you've hung out at potential very long, you've heard me share on multiple times. Jeremiah 29.11 says, for I know what I have. Yeah, Jeremiah 29.11, out of context, not, not even paying attention to the fact that this is a specific promise in a specific time to a specific people. Mm-hmm. The exiles who were in Babylon. And there's commands there to, you know, to marry, give in marriage, you know, to build houses and things like that. Um, yeah, they, they skip all of that stuff. They just take Jeremiah 29, 11 out of context. Now, it's important to know that he's reading Jeremiah 29, 11 from the Net Bible. So far, we've had the message, the ERV, and now the Net. So Troy Gramling is engaging in proof texting, the ripping passages out of context. He's cherry-picking sentences from multiple translations to create the impression that what he's teaching is a biblical doctrine. If it were, he would only need one good translation and a clear text in context in order to pull this off. But the fact that he's engaging in this technique is a 100% proof he's twisting God's word. Plan for you, says the Lord. I have plans to what? Yeah, to prosper, to promote you, not to harm you. Now, according to scripture, in many different places, you and I were created by God so that we could be promoted. I mean, there's there's really no doubt about this. But I was created by God so I can be promoted. Just as sure as God created us in order to succeed or live our destiny, the Bible also makes it clear that there's a thief. And unlike all the other weeks that we've been talking about, there's no mystery this weekend about who has or who is trying to steal that promotion from us. There is a thief. And look what the scripture says in John 10, 10. It says who the thief is. Well, it says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. By the way, he's going to be reading John 10.10 from the New Living Translation. So notice the technique here. We've had the ERV. We've had the message. We've had the net. We've had the NLT. He is not interested in rightly teaching God's word. He is selecting translations and sentences that he can weave into his own theology. And by the way, go and read John 10.10 in context. You can always tell somebody who doesn't know their Bible when they proclaim from the stage or the pulpit. um, There's so few of those left. um, They proclaim from the stage that the devil is the one who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. No, John 10.10, look at it in context. It begins in chapter 9, by the way with the healing of the man who was born blind, the thief who comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, those are the false teachers who jumped the fence. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Not the devil, but the false teachers. (laughs) Yeah. A careful exegete knows the difference. The thief's purpose. and, And what do thieves do? Why do we call them thieves? What's their ultimate goal? It's to steal, isn't it? That's why we call them a thief. And you know the other thing I know about thieves? Thieves are sneaky, aren't they? 
Have you ever had somebody call you up on the phone at about eight o'clock and say, hey, I'm going to be there at 10, leave the doors unlocked. You know, I, no, no, thieves don't, they don't reveal to you when they're coming. They, they're sneaky. And our enemy or our thief is the same way. He's sneaky in his efforts to steal from you the promotion for which Jesus died. So you... What? The promotion for which Jesus died? What? <laughs> this, is, this is a new category of promotion that I am unfamiliar with. So... Um... <laughs> So there you are, you know, you're in the corporate world and it's coming, you know, there, there's that open, you know, vice president position in the company, right? And, you know, you've been working for years. I mean, probably almost a decade, really slaving away at, at your job and, and, you know, and you've gone and you've, you've got your MBA and, you know, You've been climbing the ranks slowly but steadily, and, and that open vice president position, you know, has been vacant for well a few months now. And you've, you know, you, you've you've interviewed for it. You you feel like you know everything has been leading to this point, and then they don't give you the promotion, and they fill the vice president job with. Uh, somebody from outside the corp. Yeah, so, so somebody who worked for a competitor for years. And, you know, so you storm into the CEO's office and you say, that promotion was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and it's mine. He died so that I could get that promotion. You are in iniquity. This is a blood-bought promotion and you didn't give it to the right person. This, this is absurd. I have never heard anything like this. Experience that these purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. But in order for the enemy to steal, what do you and I have to do? We have to leave the doors unlocked. Kind of like I've got a door back here and have you left the doors unlocked in your um, promotion life? Anybody here, anybody here grow up in a town where uh, it's just a little small town and you were able to leave your doors unlocked? Anybody grow up in a town like that where you left your doors unlocked? All right, a few of us. Let me ask you another way. How many of you lock your doors every night? You might want to raise your hand even if you don't because we might have a few thieves here, Okay. Right? Let me ask another question. How many of you have an alarm in your home or your car? All right? Because we want to know that if the thief opens the door, now that alarm doesn't do anything to the thief. So where do I get a spiritual alarm? That alarm simply makes you aware of the fact that there is one with the idea that you can do something about the thief. Well, scripture's the same way. The scripture wants to awaken us, wants to alarm us that we do have a thief, an enemy who wants to rob from you your destiny and your promotion, which the scripture is clear about that God desires for you to experience. 
So God desires for me to, in fact, Jesus died so that I can experience a promotion at work. Right. Yeah. Now He uses some different tools. And can I tell you up front that the tools the enemy uses aren't the ones you think, right? We're talking about the devil. Yeah, that again shows he's not a careful exegete. The, uh, the, the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy in John 10.10 10 is the false teacher. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about this enemy, we tend to think that he's going to come in a tank with a machine gun, right? In other words, it's going to be overtly spiritual. It's going to be loud. It's going to be powerful. But remember, he's a thief. And he doesn't come in a tank. He comes sneaky with a pouch, with some tools to try to unlock. Yeah, actually, if you understand John 10.10 correctly, then you understand that the thief comes with a twisted Bible, Mm -hmm. which is what Troy Gramling is coming to us with. He's behaving like a thief. ...of your life so that he can walk in and steal what God desires for you to have. Let me give you three. There are a lot of different ones we could talk about, but I just want to give you three. Here's the first one. The first tool the enemy uses is the tool of procrastination. Yeah, that that procrastination tool. Man, uh, that's okay. We had a word from God through Terry Savelle Foy, and the word is firm. We just just need to be firm. Yeah, that's all we got to do, man. Procrastination tries to use this tool to pick the lock to the door of your life. Procrastination, that I'll do it later mindset. Let's look what the scripture says. There's a great story Jesus is talking about. And like I said, procrastination, it's not a tank. It's sneaky. Right? Because we all wrestle with this. Look what it says in Luke chapter 12. It says, imagine the stories of two household managers and decide for yourself which one is faithful and smart. Okay, by the way, um, he's reading now from Luke 12, 42 through 46 and 48 using the voice. The voice is the, I, I don't even want to call it a translation, um, it is the well. They they think it's a translation. This was the voice was put together by the emergent church movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the voice is to the emergent church as the passion translation is to the NAR. Best way I could put it there. Um, and so, notice we're out of context. Each household manager is told by the master to take good care of all of his possessions and to oversee the other employees, the butlers, the cooks, the gardens, and so on. One servant immediately busies himself and doing just what he was told. Don't miss that. Immediately busies himself doing just what he was told. His master eventually comes back to check on him. And let's read that part that's underlined up there out loud together, if we could, at all of our campuses. Rewards him with a major... Uh, One more time, let's read it again. Rewards him with a promotion. Why? Because he he, he was ready. Uh, Okay. Um, Luke 12, Jesus is telling a parable. And the parable is pointing to a spiritual reality. Um, And interpreting the parable 
literally as if the details of the parable are the thing promised misses the point. Uh, so we got a problem here. He has no clue how to handle a parable. And by the way, the context there is going to force us back a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're going to start at Luke twelve thirty-two. Uh, Fear not, little flock, Jesus says, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure that is in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. So Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Well, who then is the faithful and the wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and to drink and to get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and put him in with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not, who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So you notice when I read that out, what's the subject of this passage? The second coming of Christ and the fact we don't know when it is, right? And how are we to conduct our lives as Christians in light of the imminent return of Jesus at the hour when we least expect? Mm -hmm. That's what's going on here. But uh, Troy Grambling has gone into the voice uh, in order to get that important sentence that isn't even there in a good translation. Um, and ma uh, his master eventually comes to check on him and rewards him with a major promotion. And Troy Grambling thinks that this is promising us promotion in this life. The promotion that Jesus died for, apparently. I mean, this shows you just how miserably clueless Troy Grambling is when it comes to rightly understanding the word of God. We continue. So the one who immediately, when, when the boss leaves, he doesn't say, I'll do it later. He doesn't say, I've got plenty of time. No, he immediately does what he was asked to do. And when the supervisor comes, he gets a promotion. 
with more responsibility and trust. The other household manager thinks, look, my boss is going to be gone for a long time. I can be complacent. Or you could say, I can procrastinate. There's no urgency here. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that he doesn't like his boss. It doesn't say that he doesn't like his job. It doesn't say that he's not going to do it. Yeah, the issue is the parable here, the boss, is Jesus. It just says that he wasn't in a hurry. He just wasn't going to do it today because he thought that he had plenty of time. He procrastinated. And as a result, the scripture said, Yeah, procrastinated regarding doing what is right with the imminent return of Jesus on the horizon. So he beats the other employees, the women as well as the men. He sits around like a slob, eating and getting drunk. If this was written in 2017, it would say he, you know, lives in his mother's basement playing video games. But then the boss comes home. What's that next word? Unexpectedly and catches him by surprise. Isn't that the way it always happens? Right? I mean, when the alarm goes off in the morning and you hit that button that says snooze, And utterly clueless. I mean, that's the only way to describe this. All of a sudden you're late for work and you think, man, where did the time go? Right? I mean, it catches you by surprise. Those of you who are over the age of 40 realize that life catches you by surprise. That all of a sudden you're like, how did I get old? (laughs) When did that happen? You look in the mirror and you're like, that's, 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 that's not me. How how can this be? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that what the enemy wants to do is just to get you to procrastinate. To get you to put off to tomorrow instead of today. Because eventually, if you do that, you miss what? Opportunities. And opportunities are what open the door to your destiny. Not because the opportunities weren't there, but because you and I procrastinated. And Jesus couldn't make it really much clearer, could he? Yeah, the destiny discussed here is either heaven or hell. Then to say one of the tools the enemy uses is not some big spiritual tank throwing bombs here and there where you can say, oh my gosh, it's a spiritual attack. No, 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 just procrastination. Just the inability to act upon what we plan on doing. The weird part is that he's actually engaging in the procrastination that Jesus is warning against. Yeah, that's the weird part here. What we know we should do, just not today, just not now. And he he, he goes on and he says the boss comes unexpectedly, catches him by surprise. One household manager will be fortunate indeed. He gets the promotion, but the other will be cut into pieces and thrown out. If you are given much, much will be required of you. If much is entrusted to you, much will be expected of you. So so, so what is the scripture telling us here? It's telling us that in order to experience promotion, because it's telling us that Jesus is coming back at a time when we don't expect him. Oh, good night. He thinks this is about that God wants to give us promotion in our life here and now. Oh, my goodness. This is so 
absurd. The scripture says promotion comes from God. It doesn't come from the east. It doesn't come from the west. In order to experience the promotion that you desire, you want to step up in your finances. You want to step up in your career. You want to step up in your relationships. This isn't about my finances or career or any relationships. Relationships. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the first thing you must do is be responsible with what you presently have. The step you are presently on. Don't spend so much time worrying about where you want to be as if instead asking the question, am I being responsible with what, with what I have? Or am I waiting? <laughs> am I putting off? Am I procrastinating? You know, kids do it like this, right? If you've, how many of you have ever had kids or were a kid? Let me see your hand. All right. Children love pets and they love to, you know, if you've ever had kids, they're like, mommy, daddy, can I get a dog or a cat or a fish or a hamster or a snake or whatever it is that they want? And, and you know, it's daddy, can I have a dog? Mommy, can I have a dog? And, and most parents, the first time they're asked, are, answer something to this effect. You don't even clean your room. Who's going to take care of Fluffy? Right? Now, how does every child in the world answer that question? Mom, dad, I don't care about my room, but I'll love Fluffy. I'll take care of Fluffy. Just give me a chance. I promise I will. Now, should you believe your child and get your child Fluffy, who's going to take care of Fluffy? You are. Because there is a principle at work here. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about. But if you're not responsible with what you have, you will not be responsible in the future. If God can't trust me with what he's given me, why in the world would I think he would trust me with more? Now, as a pastor, I've I've seen... Oh, my goodness. That's not what's being taught here. Unless the thing that you're talking about is being more is eternal life. I mean, I've been in ministry, goodness, getting close to almost 30 years. I'm one of those old people. It doesn't show at all. Okay. And, and, and this is what has happened over and over is I'll have people come up to me and they'll be saying, uh, they'll say, Troy, I've got this business opportunity. And I'm telling you, if this thing goes through, we're going to launch 10 campuses. We're going to replace those ugly green chairs with some nicer looking ones. We're going to get rid of the carpet. We're going to update the two decade old sound system. I'm telling you, Troy, you need to pray that this deal goes through. Now, this is my experience in 30 years of ministry is that I haven't seen not one time if that person is not responsible with what they have. In other words, if they're not presently generous with what they do have, I've never seen, even when the deal goes through, them be generous with what additionally they receive or keep their word. Never. Not one time have I seen that. Why? Because this principle is at play. This whole idea of procrastination. It's so easy, isn't it? Right? Just to hit the snooze button. And, and, and before long, right, we, time goes by, catches us off guard. 
We tend to blame others, right? We tend to blame, oh, I had a flat tire, there was traffic. We got all of these reasons in our mind why we were late and missed the opportunity. But in reality, it's just that the enemy used procrastination to steal that promotion or that opportunity from us. Happens. That's not what Jesus is promising there. Happens all the time. I know I've seen in, in my life where one of the things is that I've uh, said is over the years is I, I want to write a book. I've started and I've stopped uh, and, and I don't have one. And the main reason I don't have one is in my mind. I have all kinds of reasons why I don't. But the reality is it's just because I have procrastinated. And there's no doubt in my mind that I have missed opportunities in the future because I haven't been obedient in that area where I am. The enemy has been allowed in to steal from me something that he doesn't own. And so the alarm in our life goes off, procrastination. But there's a second one that I wanted to talk about, and it's pleasure. Pleasure can distract us from our promotion. And and here's what I mean by this is you're going to go home in just a few hours And are you going to watch television, Netflix, or YouTube, or are you going to read a book? I mean, are you going to make the easy decision, or are you going to make the pleasurable decision? We face that every single day. Yeah, they made the decision to go to potential church rather than to a church where the pastor actually rightly handles God's word and correctly exegetes biblical texts and points people to Jesus. So what are the chances they're going to go home and choose a book over Netflix? Really? Again, that doesn't seem like a spiritual decision, right? I mean, I'm watching a clean show. Nothing evil about the show. But I'm choosing the pleasure over the opportunity to grow. Now, Solomon was this incredibly wise guy. He was king of Israel. And he's one of the kings of Israel that all the other nations surrounding Israel were uh, influenced by him because of his wealth and because of his power. And at the end of his life, he writes the book Ecclesiastes. It's kind of a depressing book because he realizes that all the things he thought was important really weren't important. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I said to myself, come, let's try pleasure. Let's do it the easy instead of the hard. Let's look for good things in life. But I found that this too was was meaningless. In other words, it, it, it didn't get me anywhere. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. In other words, I did whatever I wanted to do. I did whatever felt good, whatever was easy. But as I looked... And everything I had worked uh, so hard to accomplish, it was, it was meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. They're really, uh, nothing really worthwhile. And then Solomon again writes in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 28. A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. Some translations say that a person without self-discipline is like a city without a wall. And in ancient times, what was the wall? The wall was protection from the thieves or protection from the enemies. Here's the way that I I put it in my notes is that a person without self-control is like an unlocked life. The thief just comes in and steals. 
He just comes right? Yeah, the, the, the thief just comes in and steals. You know, the false teacher is coming in and stealing from these people because they have no discipline when it comes to rightly handling and understanding God's word. To our life, and he takes whatever he wants. Why? Because rather than being disciplined, we are distracted. And we miss opportunities, not because they're not there, not because God doesn't desire for you and me to be promoted, but simply because we choose to do what is easy over what is difficult. Yeah, like go to an entertainment church. In my notes, anyone can do the easy. It is the difficult, though, that gets promoted. So let's think back. I'm just let's think the last week, okay? Think about the last week. Think about work and whatever it is you've done in the last week. How many times did you choose the easy as opposed to the disciplined? In other words, let's just walk through a few of these things. You know what time you have to get up every morning. So did you choose to go to bed so that you could get enough hours of sleep so that you would wake up at the time that you were supposed to wake up? Or did you do the easy and just go to bed when really ever you were tired? See, it's so easy to become the victim. It's so easy to blame the fact that I was late upon all these other things when in reality, what the scripture is trying to teach us is that I didn't have or you didn't have the discipline to go to bed. Before you're ever going to be able to get up consistently at a time in which you can succeed, you're first going to have to discipline yourselves to go at a time to go to bed. That's the first discipline. And then when the alarm goes off, did you hit the snooze? Or did you get up at the difficult time so that you could hang out with God? So that you could spend 10, 15 minutes in prayer, 10, 15 minutes reading through his word. Yeah, you can't expect a promotion without a quiet time, you know. That's not easy. (laughs) But that's where opportunity comes. Were you early to work or were you late? And you think that your supervisor, you believe that your employer ought to understand that you've got all of these responsibilities and it really wasn't your fault. It's somebody else's fault. Did you do the easy or did you do the difficult? Did you eat the brownie or did you say no? Right? All these things. Yeah, notice we're we're not talking about sin, repentance, forgiveness of sins. Just improving your suburban life, getting that promotion that Jesus died for, you know. We tend not to think of as spiritual are the very things that the enemy, he's not in a tank, I'm telling you. It's not just adultery that robs you of your promotion. It's not just sexual sin that robs you of your promotion. It's not just losing your temper. It's just not, it's not just throwing out profanity. It's not just finding yourself in, uh, drunk. No, no, it's procrastination. It's choosing the easy over the difficult that the enemy uses. Just a little leather pouch unlocks your door. And unless you and I have an alarm, he robs from us the very thing that according to Psalm 139, God created you and I to experience. There is procrastination. There is pleasure. Don't leave that too early, though. Walk through the week. 
Maybe even in the last 24 hours. Maybe even this morning. And let me just challenge you here a little bit. One of the things in the 17 years I've been at Potential Church is to try to get folks to come to Saturday night. Do we do what's easy or do we do what's disciplined? Ask the person who doesn't even have enough discipline to actually learn and rightly handle God's word and as engaging in a com- in complete exegetical buffoonery. It matters in all these areas of our lives. And then here's the last one that I want us to talk about is, is pride. Now, pride's sneaky, right? Because I doubt that any of us would admit to being prideful, right? If we had confession booths labeled different things, I think pride would probably be the last one. Now, we might all go to pride just because we don't think it's that bad, right? But it's sneaky. Pride is sneaky. <clears throat> now, remember, remember where we started. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from God. So what is God's perspective on pride? Well, in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel is talking to King Belshazzar about his father, King Nebuchadnezzar. And look at what he says. He says, listen, O king, the high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar a great kingdom. Who gave Nebuchadnezzar a great kingdom? What what does it say? Who? Who? Yeah, God does. God, that's what Daniel says. God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar a great kingdom and a glorious reputation because God made him famous. Who made Nebuchadnezzar famous? God did according to the scripture. People from everywhere, whatever race, color, creed, were totally intimidated by him. He killed or spared people on a whim. He promoted or humiliated people capriciously. He developed a big head and a hard spirit. What does that mean? He was prideful. Nebuchadnezzar forgot who made him famous. He forgot who gave him a great kingdom. He started to believe it was because of his intelligence. It was because of his wisdom. It was because of his hard work, because he had put good leaders around him, because he had studied hard when he was a student, whatever it was. But then it says, then God knocked him off his high horse and stripped him of his fame. He was thrown out of the human company. He lost his mind and lived like a wild animal until he learned this lesson that the high God rules kingdoms. Who rules kingdoms? God does. Now, by the way, he's reading from the message paraphrase uh, portions of Daniel chapter five. I tell you, that's encouraging to me. When I read the high God rules human kingdoms and puts anyone he wants in charge. I love what Daniel said, because see, I know something about myself. My abilities are limited. There's some things I'm just not good at. Yeah, like rightly handling God's word, which is a requirement uh, in order to be a pastor. Just saying. Some skills that I just do not have. And according to scripture, my promotion is not solely dependent upon my ability. It's not solely dependent upon what I am capable of doing. According to Daniel, it is God who puts 
people wherever he wants them to be. And there is no limitation to my God because he's all powerful, all knowing and everywhere at one time. That means I can succeed. I can accomplish my destiny and live my purpose because my success is not limited by my ability. It is Really? So you surmise from all of this that that means you can achieve your purpose. Good night. This is uh, the blind leading the blind. They're all slurping this up as if this fellow is teaching them the truth about God. He's not telling them anything that's truthful or correct. By this all-powerful God who I am in a personal relationship with. So when I read Daniel chapter 5... And I get really encouraged for me and I get really encouraged for you. Because if you're honest, you're limited. And maybe some of us, your whole life, you've looked around and thought that you could never simply because you have some limitations in your life. And I just want to remind you that your limitations have nothing to do with your ability to be promoted. Because whatever limitations you have, God can more than make up for. That's what Daniel said. And Nebuchadnezzar forgot that. He started to think it was... See, that's the hard part of success. See, whatever success you've had, the ten, what's the tendency? To think you earned it. Why do you have your job and somebody else doesn't? Is it because you're smarter? Because you worked harder? Because you went to college and they didn't? Because you saved and they didn't? There's a tendency to believe that our... That our success, our promotion, is because of who we are. And the Bible simply calls that prideful. See, I wanted to compare what he told, what Daniel told Belshazzar within the New Testament, because what's the antithesis of pride? It's humility, isn't it? Look what James 4.10 says. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will what? So notice uh, the technique, cherry-picking or proof-texting. and No text in context, all of it chosen, you know, strategically execto-knifed out of the Bible so the context can't interfere and actually give us the theology. And he's twisting the Bible to make it say things it doesn't even come close to saying. <laughs> you know, I fear for these people who are listening to him and think that they're hearing from God through this message. Lift you. I humble myself, he will lift me. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5, 6. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God and at the right time. Now be honest, I don't like that part. I get frustrated sometimes. I want it on my time. I'd like for it to happen when I want it to happen. And sometimes I don't even understand why it has yet to happen in different areas of my life. Those are, those are faith-building times. It's when I'm tested. It's when I'm most tempted to doubt. Yeah, see, the reason he's not experiencing more promotion right now is because God's trying to build his faith. He's being tested at the moment. That, see, that's why things have slowed down, apparently, there at uh, Potential Church. is when God doesn't do what I thought he would do when... I thought he would. But the scripture says, it's a promise. And uh, if I submit or humble myself under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will what? 
lift you up. Yeah, James wasn't talking about earthly promotions there. So pride is that sneaky tool that the enemy uses to try to get into my life so that he can steal from me the promotion that God promised me and then he came and died on the cross and paid for me to experience. Now, I put this in my notes, humility, because what is it? What is he? He acts like Jesus died so you can be the CEO. That's ridiculous. Unbelievably clueless. What delusion has bewitched these people to think that this is what the Bible teaches? I mean, how would you define that if your life depended on it? What would you write down? What is humility? Humility is not saying that our joy, our money, our strength, our job comes from God. That's not humility. People do that all the time. They'll say things all the time. Man, I'm so thankful for my job. I know God gave it to me. I'm so thankful for my home. I know God gave it to me. I'm so thankful for my wife or my husband or my kids. I know God gave them to me. I'm, I'm just thankful for the fact that, that God's blessed me, you know, with this or that. I'm, I'm I just, man, I'm so thankful. That is not humility. And the reason, now there's not, it's not that it's bad. It's just that that alone is not humility because lots of people say that. Jesus even said that the, the enemy, right? The demons believe that there's a God talk about God. What I wrote in my notes is humility is not saying that our joy, money, strength, job comes from God, but living as if it really does. See, humility is not what you say with your mouth. Humility is what you say with your life. It's how you and I live our lives. Do we live our lives only saying that God is the one who gave it to me? Or do I live my life in such a way that I'm living as if that were true? Well, how do you do that? How do you live as if it were true? If God is really the one who gave you and me everything we have, then we will live in what? In obedience to him. If I gave you a million dollars. This. Yeah, the, the problem is we're sinners, um, and we still have sinful natures, even as Christians. Um, and what you're saying here is just utterly clueless and putting people back into complete bondage, a form of legalism now in order to, you know, I've got to be continue to be obedient so that I can maintain the promotion that Jesus died to give me. That So apparently it's up, you know, this isn't, you know, promotion by grace, through faith, this is promotion by obedience. Gave it to you. Not you didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. I gave it to you. And you went out and, and I said, "Hey, if you need more, come back." But here's what I need you to do: these three things. If you don't do these three things, then you're positioning yourself. I'm not going to give you any more. Now, if you really believed I had another million dollars to give you, what would you do? You would do the three things I asked, wouldn't you? If you didn't do those three things, then it would be pretty obvious that you actually didn't believe either one, I didn't give it to you in the first place, or two, I don't have any more to give you. Well, the same thing is true when we think about humility in the eyes of God. The scripture has so much to say about parenting, a business, marriage, sex, money. I mean, all these areas of our lives, God says, here's where I want the way in which I want you to live. And if you do, I'm promising I'm your shepherd. You'll have everything you need. Wow. Again, this is self-righteousness. 
Yeah, he doesn't know how to rightly handle law and gospel either. There's a surprise. I'll take care of those financial needs that you have. You'll never have to be stressful about money uh, again. I will provide. You, you won't have no, to. No, God will provide if you're obedient. If you're not obedient, he's not providing nothing. So it's up to you. It's not gift. It's earned. This is the way that you can uh, impact your kids. Here's how you can have uh, an incredible marriage. Here's the way to handle. And if we really believe that, then humbly, what do we do? We do what he asks us to do, even though our skin battles against that. And the culture around us tells us we're crazy. See, pride, procrastination, and pleasure are those things. Again, I wrote, pride is when you and I take control. Confidence is in me. Humility, it follows. My confidence is in God. And so I want to make sure that my life lines up with him. So what if this thief has used the tool of pride or procrastination or pleasure to steal your promotion? In other words, you look around and you know, you know you're, you were created for more than what you're experiencing. What happens if you look around and you know that your life... Oh, my goodness. How much pride and arrogance does it take to say something like that? I know I was made for more than what I'm doing here. Boy, this is unbelievable. There's got to be more to it. This can't be all there is. This can't be what God had in mind for you. But if you're honest, you also know that there have been times when you procrastinated. When you put off, not because, listen, not because you didn't believe God, not because you didn't love God, not because you planned, you know, one day. Really? So now we're going to just sidestep the issue of sin here. You're going to get around to it, but you you just didn't. You you just never. never It wasn't sin. It was just procrastination, man. Or maybe if you're honest, you know, there have been times when you've chosen the easy, not the disciplined. Or maybe you'd be honest enough to realize, you know, there are times when I've been prideful in the sense that I've been the one in control. I've done what I thought was best, even though I I understood what God was asking of me. Am I stuck? Should I just be content with what I have? You know what midlife crisis is? This realization. Midlife crisis is when you and I realize that we might not accomplish all the things we dreamed of accomplishing. That we were surprised by our age. And it seems like one day we had all the time in the world to start a business or become wealthy or to begin a family. And now it seems impossible. Is that true? Does God say too bad? Well, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. David had went out with his boys to battle. And when he came back, everything was stolen. His possessions were stolen. His wives were stolen. His kids were stolen. And and the guys were so mad, they almost took David's life. And look at what David does. In Psalm 30, verse 6, it says, David strengthened himself with trust in his God. So that's the first thing he does. Yeah. Was uh, David suffering from a midlife crisis? Uh, what on earth? He gets his alignment with God. And then he asks, he prays to God and he asks God the question, shall I go after these raiders? Can I catch them? 
And I love the answer. The answer came, go after them. Yes, David, you will catch them. Yes, you'll make the rescue. That's good news for you and me. Because even... It, 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 how is it good news for me? <laughs> because David was able to pull this off, that's somehow good news to me? What are you talking about? The enemy has snuck into our life and he has stolen from us something that he does not own. Our promotion, our destiny, our dream. And we go to God and we're like, God, what am I supposed to do? Should I just settle for what I have? Should I give up on the dream? And God is like, no, you need to go after it. So he threw in some narcissists there at the end of this proof texted, cherry picked nonsense. Good Grief. This is awful. You need to get it. That's exactly what he told David. And then look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Same idea. Except for here he's talking about the people of God. He's talking about Israel. They had allowed the enemy to steal their, their destiny or their promotion. And look at what it says. He says, and you must return to the Lord your God, obeying his voice in line with all that I'm commanding you right now. You and your children with all your mind and your being. Then the Lord your God will... What's that next word? No, no, no. This is a much better word than you're saying it. What is it? Yeah, restore you as you were before and have compassion on you. In other words, what is God saying? He's saying, don't give up. Now we're invoking the blessing and cursing portion of the Mosaic Covenant out of context from the century English Bible. Oh, good night. This is utterly miserable. No matter what age you are, no matter how much the enemy is stolen, do not give up. Do not surrender, but stop whining. Stop blaming those around you. Stop being the victim. See, listen to me. There, you and I cannot be the victim. Why? Because it's not within our power, but it is. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique. Designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audiences. They uh, get ready to make some important decisions, apparently. Then his power. And he tells us, look, don't give up on that dream. Don't give up on that destiny. Even yeah, where did God tell us not to give up on dreams and destinies and stuff? This is utterly clueless. The enemy has taken something from you that Jesus died to give you. God will still empower you. Right, Jesus died to give you the corner office and, and it, at work. Wow. Experience that in your life. Go after it. Go after it. How, how do you do that? I mean, this is, this is like the turning point of this whole teaching on promotion. How? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's the end because you haven't rightly handled God's word even for a minute, even by accident. Go after it. Well, well he told us. He said to, to David, strengthen yourself with trust. You might circle that word. Trust in what? Trust in your ability, David, with fast horses to catch those guys. Trust yourself, David, in your ability to fight. Trust yourself, David, in your wisdom. Trust yourself, David, in the size of your kingdom. No, no. David strengthened himself with trust in what? In his God. And then when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, and you must return to the Lord. You must return to the Lord, obeying his voice with all your mind and all your being. In other words, how do we go after it? 
How do we get back what the enemy has stolen? How do we experience what Jesus said in John 10, 10? My purpose is to give you life rich and satisfying. It's about positioning. Isn't that what David, what did David do? He repositioned himself. Rather than the truck. It's about repositioning yourself. What on earth is this theology? Within his own strength, David realized when he got back, he was a powerful man. He was one of the best warriors in all the land, but he couldn't even protect his own wives and kids. So what did David do? He repositioned himself with his confidence, not in himself, but his confidence in God. Even the people, the Israelites, of God, the Israelites, the people of God, says return. The first thing says, what does that mean? Return. It means reposition. What? <laughs> I, <laughs> there's too much heresy here. I can't fix it all. Reposition. Turn the alarm back on. God's desire, according to scripture, is to promote you. Not some of... No, it isn't. Not the smart ones of us. Not the wealthy ones. Not the ones who are born into the right family or live in the right part of town. That God's desire in creating you is to promote you. But you have to reposition yourself. You have to trust him. You have to decide that he knows more about relationships than you do. He knows more about sex than you or I. He knows... Uh about money than you or I. He knows more about business. And until you and I determine that, and until we reposition ourselves, listen, you have to do it with your own strength. And be your own wisdom, your own strength, your own power. And one day, most people just like David realize or learn they're not strong enough. They're not strong enough to control everyone and everything. Reposition. You have to decide. I have to decide. Would you bow your head? Done. Oh, that was awful. Clueless. Just bizarre. And this guy is the vision casting leader of a mega church. <laughs> I, wow. I fear for his soul. I fear for the souls of the people listening to this nonsense. What a complete and utterly clueless blindness, waste of time and words and energy and money. Good. Oh, grief. Oh. And who got lost in the whole mix? Christ. Him crucified for our sins. And he wasn't crucified for us since he was crucified for our promotion. Apparently new gospel altogether, the purpose driven dream destiny gospel. It's as false as they get. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fighting for the faith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. Grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>